the goal, the main goal of someone, let's use the gift of music as our first example. The main goal of someone with the gift of music is not just to make music, it's to make musicians. Think through what I'm saying there. Let's go to the gift of teaching, another way that God uses people to bless others. The main goal of someone with the gift of teaching should not just be to teach. It should be to make teachers. See where we're going with this? Any of the ways that God uses us. The main goal of someone with the gift of leadership should not just be to lead. It should be to make leaders, to make more leaders. Gift of hospitality is not just to have people in your home, but to raise up people who will have people in their homes. There's a quote that, that kind of has been thrown around for many years now that says the church is always one generation away from extinction. The church is always just one generation from being gone because if we're the last ones to ever believe and no one else hears and no one else believes, it's done. Now, we know in God's sovereignty, he can even make the rocks cry out. So theologically, we know it cannot be done. But when you think of it in terms of our role in it, we can't afford to not be leading other people to Christ if we want the kingdom to grow. And a lot of times when we think about our spiritual gifts, it gets personal. You know, I, I say, and I know this person who has the gift of evangelism. They're really good at leading others to Christ. But are they really good at raising up others who will lead people to Christ? Because if not, we're all just a one-man show. And we're all doing it all, and then we're done. And what happens after that? The church is always just one generation away from being extinct. And it's only by God's grace that all of these years, through all the oppression of every government, of all the things that the Jewish people went through as the nation of Israel, and then as the Gentiles get grafted in all the oppression, all the politics and other world religions and the, the powers of the world that are against us, it's only by God's grace that it has continued. But we need to have like a, a, a reproductive drive in a spiritual way. In the same way that as people, we have a desire for relationships, a desire for love, a desire to have children. Imagine, what would it be like if we had the same reproductive drive as believers and Christians that we do as humans? That drive to be with people, that, that like fear of loneliness and isolation, the desire for children, that longing. Why don't we have that same thing when it comes to our faith? We should. And it should even be to somehow some greater extent because it's a larger thing. This drive for relationships and loves and reproduction as humans is a temporary thing. The drive to see God's kingdom grow is an eternal thing. It's got to be better, larger, of a better magnitude, of a, of a better quality than marriage and children. And yet, it's such a drive to find a person, to be with someone who you can be yourself with, who will help you grow, who you can love, allows you to love them. And who you allow to love you and to know you. Like, that's such a beautiful thing. But it's meant to be a reflection of Christ in the church. It's not meant to be the end goal. 
What if we all had that drive to see God's kingdom grow? It makes me think of the phrase church growth, and that's not what I'm talking about here. There's actually a whole like era of the Christianity that we've recently lived through, kind of 80s, 90s, and on into here, where a lot of business practices were used as models for church growth. And in some cases it's worked, and in some cases it hasn't, but there can be this sort of mistaken claim, goal, whatever, that if you put these principles into practice and if you do these things a certain way, you can grow your church. I'm not actually talking about church growth here. I'm talking about kingdom growth. Because it would be okay if our little church didn't get bigger, but it would not be okay if through us God's kingdom didn't get any bigger during our lifetime. Because that would mean as far as us, the extinction could come with the next generation. And a lot of times we settle for that just being our children. Those are people that we're around that we want to see carry on our faith to the next generation. But it can't just be our children. It needs to be all the people that we're around. And I want to see a hunger in us and a drive to see God's kingdom grow, to see people come to life in the same way that we hunger for relationships, for closeness, for family, for children. Uh, Lindsay, read the Genesis one for us and remind us of what God said to Adam and Eve at the very beginning, please. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. All right. So he said to them, you are going to be in my image. And what I need that to mean for you is that you need to be fruitful. So bear fruit, bear children, but multiply, fill the earth with my purpose. Take my role, be my caretakers, garden. For all of you that love gardens, we're in the summer scorching heat. I'm sure you're trying to just keep your gardens alive like we are. Um, be fruitful and multiply, fill, care for, be my hands and feet on earth. Now, if we're to think about fruitful and multiply in a New Testament context where we are with Christ, I think we could easily look at those as two separate things. Whereas in the context of creation, he's specifically talking about humans. I think they're meant to be paired. But what if we were to consider this morning being fruitful as one thing and multiplying as another? Would we say we're being fruitful as Christians? We're bearing fruit in some way. We're living for Christ. We're using our gifts. We're loving. We might be able to say yes to that, but still say no to multiplying. And I don't think that should be. You know, an apple tree is meant to plant more apple trees. It's not just meant to produce apples. So the fruitfulness is meant to end in a multiplication. And this is where the whole church growth kind of concept just like falls apart and shows itself to be more of a man-made construct, I think, than a kingdom construct. Uh, we're supposed to be part of a movement. It's not about a local church, but it's meant to be a global movement where the Spirit of God goes out over all the earth and connects with every person who will listen and turns their hearts towards Christ connects them with God, atones them, forgives them, restores them, saves them. Like that, that's part of what we're a part of. It's a movement. So it has to be multiplication because no movement can happen with just addition. So one of us meets one person, now there's two. 
It's got to be 1 to 2 to 4 to 8 to 16. And that's exactly how the church grew in the early days. It was a movement because they weren't trying for church growth. They were trying for kingdom expansion. I think this is going to be very important for us to consider. I think that here in this building and in the next location where we are, it's going to be very easy. And even the fact that our name is kind of linked with where we are, New Hope Christian Chapel, because this is the place that God has blessed us with, it's almost like a tricky thing. Like, be careful. You're not the place. I know your name says the place where you meet, but you're the people, not the place. And if we go to the center and are talking more about the center, the center, like, let's get people into the place, then we're thinking addition. We're thinking church growth. What if every one of us had the privilege and honor this week of leading someone to Christ and all of them went to different churches? We praise God for that. <laughs> we don't implement church growth techniques. We prepare and ask God to use us as part of his movement to cover the entire face of the earth with his people, to care for the creation, to love the lonely, to care for the widows and the orphans, and to keep themselves from being unstained by the world. True religion. So I, don't, I have to start with this because I want to talk about what it looks like for us to multiply. I'm not talking about new hope. Although I hope that if we find people who come to Christ, they want to worship with us and that will be beautiful. But it's not for us that I'm saying this. This is for Christ and this is for the kingdom that I'm saying this. So this morning I want to challenge us with whether we as people are being fruitful and also whether we are multiplying. And I don't often uh, lay out kind of steps or a pattern for how to do this, but as I was thinking through this thought, I felt like, man, I don't think I can leave this vague. Because if I stop, like, say, right now, we all sort of nod our heads like, this is a good thing. But I don't think it's necessarily specific enough to let us know what we can do this day. So after we talk through a couple more scriptures to make sure we're focused on this, I want to lay out what it looks like to multiply steps that we need to go through ourselves, steps of connecting with others, and how we lead someone into this kingdom thing that we're talking about. So that's where we're, where we're going. Michelle, I think you had 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Will you read that for us now? Yes. Uh, the things, the doctrine, the precepts, the admonitions, the sum of my ministry, which you have heard me teach in the presence of many witnesses and trust as a treasure to reliable and faithful men who will also be capable and qualified to teach others. <coughs> okay. That's the Amplified version. I recognize it anywhere. Read it again so we can get all those words in there. The things, the doctrine, the precepts, the admonitions, the sum of my ministry, which you have heard me teach in the presence of many witnesses, and trust as a treasure to reliable and faithful men who will also be capable and qualified to teach others. What do you think this is saying? And it's clearly related to what I've been saying so far, but what do you think this verse here shows us. What do you hear? What do you see? Discipleship, right? Yes. What else? And. Discipleship and. Build on that. Raising up leadership. Raising up leadership. How many generations of leaders are in this one? Paul. To Timothy. Entrusted to many witnesses. A reliable man. Who will be qualified to teach others. So there's four generations of discipleship happening in this verse. What else? What words stand out here that we should be listening to if we're hoping to embody this? 
well, reliable. You know, the adjectives in there mean something to me. Entrust them to reliable people. Care about how the message gets passed on and, and put it in good hands. Sally, what else? I see a partnership here because it says that he's heard through many witnesses. Yeah. So there's a, there's a coming together of the Christian community to raise up leadership. Excellent. He's not complicating it either. He's just saying, you've heard me teach this stuff. Hmm. So that means like every single person who's sat in church for even one sermon, never mind thousands, right. knows a lot. Mm-hmm. You can teach it to other people who can teach it to other people who can teach it to other people. Yeah. On and on. Movement. That's the definition of a movement right there. The beginning of a movement anyway. There's an an expectation that this message is not supposed to end with Timothy. There's like, well, you've got to give it to these people that will be able. So when you're teaching these things, this is what you just said. It's the the idea that you're going to keep sharing and giving it away. So that's, I can see that there. Did you have something? Uh, you looked at me, made eye contact. Like, I'm ready to say the most amazing thing I've ever heard. No, okay, I won't put you on the spot. Um, yeah, Rose. I heard men, so male. Yep. Yeah. This, among others, is one of those scriptures where you say, okay, there's a clear male leadership directive that scripture gives. And then this is where Christians come together and be like, all right, how do we wrestle with that? So that means that women should be seen and not heard. Don't say anything, ladies. Sorry. Sorry, Michelle. Zip it. <laughs> I kind of think that's probably not the idea because we just read from Genesis. God made male and female in his image and said, go and partner in this. So I think this is a tricky one to say, how do we know where the gender roles lie scripturally and how do we apply that to culture? And uh, I love to have this conversation. It's not the sermon for today, but I hope you wrestle with that. I hope you think about that because men and women are not the same, but we are equal. We both reflect, reflect God. And what does that mean in terms of leadership? Awesome questions. I love talking. Maybe that could be one of our panels. Ian, there you go. It's one of our panels. We'll discuss that and bring some scriptures to bear on that one. That's, that's a good one. That's a good one. So here, yeah, you have Paul talking to Timothy, talking to men who will be qualified to teach others. What else do we see in this? It says the words reliable and faithful. So there's a part that you can't be a person who doesn't show up who's not faithful and reliable. Mm. You gotta be committed to the people, right. to the place, to the things. Right. Right. So that, that requires some sort of evaluation of who we're discipling, right? That's going to be in those steps that we're going to talk about later. One of these steps of this process needs to be like evaluate, like look at someone. Like, do they seem. Like, this is the person that God wants to carry this message. Can I identify with them? Are we clicking? Can I, can I see in them the potential to pass it on? Well, then, that's absolutely an open door that we should walk through there. Anything else? Yeah, David. Yeah, that what he says, what you heard from me, and then Paul, as an, as an apostle, as a figure of authority, we're reading these letters of Scripture. Mm-hmm. So, to not hear the wisdom of just anybody, what the mm. word of God has to say. Yeah. That, that's giving that, that's the real message, not just whatever person. You shouldn't receive just any message, but the one that goes in line with what the word of God says. Amen. The things you've heard me say, it's not just like, put a little more basil in your soup when you make it. Like the things you've heard me say about God, the testimonies of Jesus. Correct. Scripture. 
This is great. Do you recognize this 2 Timothy 2.2 as a scripture that my dad has used for 40 or 50 years as part of his discipleship curriculum? Do you recognize it for those of you that have done any discipleship with my dad? The things you've heard me say in the present and trust to others who will entrust to others because my dad understands discipleship. He understands that he is not just meant to be fruitful as a teacher and stop there. I'm glad I can brag about him without putting him on the spot here. My dad understands that his role is not just to teach, it is to make teachers. And if you look back over his life, God's blessed him. He's brought him men and women that he's been able to teach who have gone on to teach others. That's a wonderful life and a wonderful legacy. It didn't just end with my dad. And it didn't even just matter for Grace and I, his kids. He didn't just teach us to be teachers. Uh, He passed that on. But where we are in a church right now, if you had talked about discipleship over the tenure of my father and how God uses him and his giftings, it would have felt like New Hope as a whole has a ministry of raising up teachers because our discipleship approach is one of teaching and learning. And really, some of the ways that I feel, and Dad and I talk about this sometimes, I'm diverging and have diverged from him in calling and giftings. When I, is, I desire to see new hope multiply people in all the different gifts, not just the gift of teaching. And so my dad is so perfectly gifted as a teacher that his calling flows out and the multiplication repeats itself in teachers. I would like to be leading us into a season, I feel God calling us, where we're multiplying musicians, where we're multiplying cooks, where we're multiplying floor sweepers and toilet cleaners and the most common of jobs in serving and service, where we're multiplying people who act justly, where we're multiplying people that love mercy, we're multiplying people that serve the homeless, We're multiplying people that give generously in terms of clothing or food to foster kids. Like those are not all teaching roles. They're all beautiful. And I just see as God brings us more and more people, we don't all have the gift of teaching. And so it would be limiting if we said everyone here has to become a pastor or a teacher. What I want us to ask, and he and I, again, we talk about this very interesting in the way he and I both approach approach discipleship. I want each of us to just know who God has made us to be, and I want you to bear fruit. And I don't even care what kind of fruit it is you're bearing. It could be grapes, it could be apples, it could be pears, it could be whatever for God's kingdom. But I want to show you all, and I want to figure out how to multiply into more of that. So over time, God raises up people around you, and you're the hub of another little orchard. And you're the hub of another series of grapevines. And I think we're the kind of church that's hungry for that. We don't just want to come and be fed by someone who is a teacher. I think we're hungry to be teachers ourselves. And we don't just want to go to L Street and be like, Tracy, can you set it all up for us so we can do it? Tracy doesn't want to be the only server at L Street. She would love to see us having a joy in serving and be like, I've got an idea for serving and then bringing that. But she doesn't want to cook every meal every time. She wants to use her gifts, but want to raise up cooks. You know, with Eloise and I getting a chance to play together on the piano today, that was fun practicing this week and just being together. I hope she'll love music. And I just want to do whatever I can to be like, this is why I love music. I hope you do too. And not push it on her, but also recognize something in her. We do that with our kids. Man, you're good at... Ice skating, let's get you into hockey, right, Larry? You see something in your kids, you're like, let's use this. There's a talent there. 
but not just for our kids. May we have spiritual eyes to see the people around us and be like, oh, I see something in you. Man, what God could do with that. And not just for you to bear fruit, but to multiply into others. So how about you? If you're a cook, are you cooking? I hope so. That's bearing fruit. But are you making cook? I hope so. I hope so. Bring someone with you into your kitchen while you're being fruitful. Let them watch. The next week, go into their kitchen and just help them. The next week after that, tell them to do it on their own. Raise up the future cooks that will show hospitality and bless others with food. So there's two cautions, a caution and encouragement, I guess I could say, but two words before we go to these steps and think through them. One is Matthew 23, 15. Who had this one? Andy, could you read that for us, brother? I'm going to have to read again in just a second, but think about that. You go do everything at all costs to make a convert. What are you converting them into? What have you made? What have you invited them into? What's the legacy? There's a real caution there that we could win people to our church. We could win people to our specific opinions about things. We could win people to our taste in music or our taste in preaching. What are we winning them to? Who are we as we invite them in? One more time, Andy. Read that for us. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. All right. Like, ouch. <laughs> Yeah. But there's a flip side. So as we hear that and we kind of caution ourselves, Philippians 4.9 is the contrast there. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Right. So Paul is saying, whatever you've learned from me, Whatever you've seen in me, whatever you've heard from me, whatever you've received from me, practice these things. He's not saying that he's perfect, but he's saying his faith is a whole lifestyle. So the way you've seen Paul eat, who he eats with, what he declines from eating, how he handles drinking, how he handles social events like that, try to imitate the way he's going about it. And also the things that he's taught. Try to teach those same things. And the things that he passed on to you, the things that were just the moment we need to hear just the right thing, and he said it like, don't just hold on to that, pass that on. There's multiplication in this passage as well. But you see, the critical thing, both for Pharisees and for Paul, is who they are to start with. If they're a child of hell, they're going to make more of the same. But if they're a child of God, they're going to make more of the same. You're reproducing. And where it starts with, and where we start in all of our steps here, and six of them that I want to think about, first step in all of it is we need to know God. We need to know God in Christ. We need to know God through the Spirit. We need to know Him and be like Him and long for Him. 
Because there's no point in talking about making other people like us if we've got nothing to offer. There's no point in even having this conversation if we haven't started with, God, I just want to know you and I want to be like you. I want to go back to Genesis and just be in your image. Male or female, young or old, all are alike in God's eyes. I just want to be like you. I want to reflect a little bit of you. My fruitfulness should be some little bit of you that somehow got imprinted on me and somehow I can, even in a haphazard, failing sort of way, put out there into the world to say there is a God. Like, that's... Step one, before we try to go and do and change and lead, if we don't start with loving God with everything that we've got, please don't make any converts. Please don't. You're going to give them a fake gospel or no gospel or it'll be hypocritical. Maybe just get people to go to church. And so then they come into faith feeling like, oh, well, I go to church. doesn't matter what happens during the week. Don't make people into that. Don't win people to that. Don't invite people into that. If we're going to be fruitful and multiply, the first thing is know God. Like I said, there's six of these. The second one, I just want to read through them and talk a little bit as we go, but just kind of let them sit. The second one is we need to be fruitful ourselves before we try to tell other people to be fruitful. It's way easier to tell people the right thing to do than it is to do it ourselves. Preachers could fall into this as easily as anybody. Stand up and tell everybody what to do every single week and then not do any of it ourselves. Please bear fruit. Find out how God made you. And just go out and be that into the world. It'll be beautiful. The world needs you and me and us. We need to bear fruit before we go trying to plant other trees, or perhaps all the trees will be barren. And that's just a dead orchard at that point. The third thing, beyond knowing God, beyond being fruitful ourselves, we need to pray and look for people that we can identify with. If you're an apple tree, you're going to notice apple saplings. You're going to see certain things in certain people that you can relate to, that you can identify with, that you see like, I know what you're going through. I used to think that exact same way. Ray, I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit. You don't need to talk or anything. I'm going to talk about you. I love you, and I love what God has done and is doing in your life. But I see in you, and in a good way, but in a good way, I see in you, whenever someone comes into our church family that comes from some kind of background of addiction, or really, you go right to them. You somehow, like, I get that person, and you go right to them. You're the first one, like, greeting them at the door and talking and staying afterwards when the Teen Challenge men or women are here. You just like have an ability because of where you've walked to understand. Those kind of connections, the way you feel with someone, you don't even need to know anything about a person. You just somehow tell, like, this is my kind of person, right? You, you and Greg chatting at the work site. This is like your kind of person. And yeah, he rode motorcycles. And yeah, we can talk about all of that that you have in common. But it's more than that. You're kind of like similar in a way. And when you find that, that's the kind of person that you want to connect with and then kind of branch out from. When you see potential in someone, when you see yourself in someone else, that's gonna be the best person for you to pour into. For you to say, we should connect, we should get together. And then also say, well, let's do something together. 
And then also, hey, what are you doing? And seeing someone go out on their own. And there I'm kind of hinting at the next steps of the process. But are you praying for someone who is like you that you can share faith with? I think that's a great, great prayer. And we make great friends with people who are nothing like us as well. But there's something about the mentoring process that when you really have walked in their shoes or you connect at a personality level or a, a season in life, or something same, like, ah, I get you. God can do wonderful things with that. And sometimes we find ourselves surrounded by people that we don't really know how to connect with or communicate with. And it feels like, ah, I'm not sure what to say. So keep praying. Keep looking. Find the people that God will make open doors for you. And then after that, after you pray and look, invite them in into relationship remember this whole time you're already being fruitful you're doing your own thing right so ray if i'm going to keep you as my example you're a server you're you're the kind of person that if someone needs help at 2 a.m they can call you and you will show up if the car breaks down you'll be there if we need scrap metal hold off the trailer we'll be there and you'll help so since you're serving in so many ways each one of those is an opportunity to be like, hey, Greg, I need a hand grabbing this stuff. And you invite him into where you're already bearing fruit. Now, Greg's a believer, so maybe he's not the best example, but maybe some of the kids that you've worked with, you've invited them onto the job to try to mentor them, give them a trade. You're already doing what you're doing. We're already bearing fruit. So it's easy. Be like, hey, join me. Man, it's a relationship. Then there's something. If they're like you, when they're doing what you do, it's going to feel like, oh, I get this. Oh, that's, we learn from each other by doing because God gives us that kind of commonality that we can mentor one another. And ultimately, we do end up mentoring. It goes both ways. We mentor one another. So after that, step forth of inviting them into our fruitfulness. Fifth step is step back and support them talk about this with kids, right? And spoke really like pointedly about this back in graduation season for our parents. It's time to step back sometimes and support them and not be doing everything for our kids. But you want them to be doing. You don't want to be out of the picture. You want to be helpful, whatever that looks like. This is the way it works in faith too. You work with someone and then somebody step back and be like, what are you working on? All right, yeah, I could give you a hand with that. Kind of transferring responsibility. We need to step back. If we don't, then we end up still being the one that's doing it all, always and forever. And then the last one is we ultimately need to send people out. There's a commissioning, a sending out of the people that we've been together with. Because we really can't afford the luxury of just staying together with all of our favorite people all the time forever. The kingdom won't grow that way. If every social engagement we have is just our Christian friends and every evening is just our Christian Bible studies and fellowship and serving and everything is just like within, then it's like we huddled all the powerful people into a room and locked the door. <laughs> so you get to be together, but you also have to let people go to minister in other places, to spread the seeds of the gospel in the kingdom. So if you think through these steps of spiritual multiplication, spiritual reproduction, can you have a hunger for these things the same way that we do for physical relationships, for love, for marriage, for children? This is the process that I see this going. I'll say it one more time. First step, know God. Second step, be fruitful. Third step, look for people. Look for like-minded people. Fourth step, invite them into our missions. And again, if we're not doing anything, we've got nothing to invite anybody to. And this is sadly why so many people just invite others to church because that's the only place anything's happening. 
You couldn't invite them to what you're doing on Monday because you're not doing anything on Monday. You can't invite them to the outreach you're doing on Saturday because you're not doing an outreach on Saturday. You can't invite them, like, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're our own roadblock. We're our own bottleneck. Whereas if each of us is serving all the time, it's easy. Oh, it's a Monday? Well, then join me on Tuesday when I do this thing. Or you're here on Wednesday? Great, then on Friday, let's join those other people doing this other thing. It's, we can only invite them into what we're already doing. So the invitation really presupposes and demands our activity. Fifth step, we have to step back and support. And the sixth step, we need to send them out to be fruitful. We need to go in a way from being missionaries to being a movement. We've talked about, you know, you are not the mission. We are not the mission. Christ saved us and he makes us missionaries. I just think there's probably another step after that. There's more growth. After we are a missionary, now we're looking to not just teach. We're looking to make more missionaries. Who will then make more missionaries who will spread the gospel. And as we go through these summer months leading up towards... Um, the center, and whenever God brings us into that place, I really do want these sermons to be things that will prepare us, myself and yourself as well, for whatever God has in store for us. And I think this is a big one. Be fruitful and multiply. And if we can be praying and looking for this, then God transplanting our plant from one pot to another will, uh, a bigger pot, help us to grow and to expand and to bear more fruit and to multiply where he calls us. Michaela, would you read us our closing scripture, Acts 1, 4 through 8? And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So it all begins with God's power, and you wait for that. You wait on that. You long for that. And it all begins right where you are. That's strategic spiritual growth. It begins in Jerusalem, which is a city. And then it goes to Judea, which is the county. And then it goes to Samaria, which is the neighboring counties. And then it goes to the ends of the earth. So we are meant to begin in our homes. We're meant to begin in our town. We're meant to begin in our job. We're meant to begin here in Southeastern. We'll eventually be meant to begin in Taunton and then ripple outwards. This is the definition of a movement. It all begins with God, God's power, and it all begins right where we are. And it's meant to begin now. Let's pray. Jesus, please give us your power and your calling. Uh, reveal to us how you've made us and why you've made us so that we can bear fruit accordingly. Uh, help us have a lot of joy in bearing fruit through your power. Uh, please allow our fruit not just to die on the vine, but allow it to be scattered and eaten and enjoyed and celebrated and spread and those seeds to bear more fruit. Uh, may your kingdom come and your will be done, Father. 
We long to see your kingdom grow. Give us more and more of a hunger, a drive, an urge, a longing, a desire for kingdom growth. May it not end with us, Father. May you not have to resort to calling the stones to cry out. May we cry out for you. May we call out to you. May we love you so much that it's contagious and that your love grows from right where we are, outward. By your power, Father, your will, your timing, to show what it looks like uh, each of us in these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.